and welcome to another episode of the Narrative Labyrinth, where we discuss film, TV, literature and games with in-depth review, deep dive and analysis. I'm your host, Rachel, and today I'm joined by a really great guest that I'm really excited is uh, coming to talk to us um, about magic and the magic systems in film, TV, games and a bit of literature. So please welcome... Hi, uh, I'm Alec Austin. I feel like I've been built up way too much. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do a drum roll or anything like I could have done. Uh, so uh, I, I'm a game designer, a uh, very, very occasional uh, writer, and I've been reading sci-fi and fantasy novels since I was old enough to understand what they were. Excellent. So th- this has come about because we, um, I actually sent you a, a really, really crap meme about magic and it spurred like a whole conversation through like instant messenger. Um, and now we're here. Would you, would you say that's a fair summary? Well, looking at the meme, it's not quite about magic, but it certainly led to a long discussion about how crap uh, certain magic systems are. <laughs> And I decided that that was super interesting information and everyone else needed to hear it. And now here we are. Um, So I guess uh, when we talk about magic, I think a lot of people assume it's just fantasy, but actually sci-fi has a lot of magic in as well. And even some elements of horror and drama, uh, I think, has magic in it. Um, But they often have magic systems and I think they're used as a way where they kind of separate the us from them and the real from the unreal and they're used a lot for kind of storytelling and as main arcs for the story um some creators obviously put more detail into their magic systems than others and i think there's definitely spaces where maybe we should not look too closely at the magic system because it might actually fall apart um would you agree with that statement oh just a little yeah just a little so based on that do you think a magic system has to make sense so, no, it doesn't have to make sense. Um, it really depends on what you're trying to do with the system. Uh, so a lot of systems, you know, they aren't explained, they don't make sense. Magic's just a thing that happens. It's just kind of accepted. And that's fine if that's the story you're trying to tell. Um, but a lot of times, like, actually having a grounded system that is understood uh, is a lot better because it allows you to like explore the limits of the system and... It helps people get to grips with the system of what's possible and what's not possible and get a more emotional hooks with it. I think for me, when a magic system uh, obviously doesn't make sense or is not kind of explored enough, I feel like it's quite difficult to to hold the to arc the story to, to anchor the story down. It kind of loses a lot of its um, credibility for me as a as a as a consumer, so a reader or a watcher um, of that content. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, actually, but now I know anything can happen. And I think the bit for me that always throws it up is where you've got like a relatively kind of cohesive or set way that you're doing magic and then magic changes magically (laughs) magically at the last moment surprisingly to help the heroes win the day um in a way that we don't expect it to happen within the magic system itself that we know and for me that's when i rage quit and walk off Mm. which is entirely fair so in in the meme the first uh kind of example setting there was lord of the rings and there we don't really explore the magic system at all. We kind of know it exists, it's going to be used in a lot of ways, and it's plot relevant, but it's not actually hugely important to the story. And it, there's only magical effects and very minor bits. 
so it's a lot more powerful and there's a lot more things you can do with it than it's ever explained, but and it's quite nebulous as a result. But when it's used, it's kind of plot effective. But because it's not a major part of the story, it doesn't its nebulousness doesn't really take away from the story. I would agree with that. And I think there's spaces where magic is used in Lord of the Rings and you could actually argue maybe it's science. So I'm thinking like the uh the glowy sword um that Bilbo has and then Frodo has, you know, actually I know we're supposed to say that's magic, but actually is it science? Um well, the uh, the thing to remember is uh, Clark's law of uh, sufficiently advanced magic is indistinguishable from uh, sorry, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. It's the inverse of um, magic's indistinguishable from sufficiently advanced technology. Uh, and do you think that's the place? In, do you think that happens in Lord of the Rings? Do you think that's how we kind of accept it so easily? Well, it's it's a bit like um, four in that respect because uh, in four we have. At least in the movies, um, we have you know what you call science, we call magic, uh, sort of thing, and it's the same sort of thing. Like in what uh, Sauron's really done is he's enchanted rings, which have then done an effect. So at that point, he's created advanced equipment, which is technology. <laughs> it's powered by magic, but it's essentially technology because it's an item that does a thing. Like it, and a created it. item at that. It's not one that magically apparated into existence uh, or has been around since the beginning of time. Like These are things that have physically been created to do a job. Yeah, I mean, you can get into a whole thing there of like what's magic and what's technology and what really is the difference. And to a degree, as is explored in a number of properties, if you've got magic as a prevalent thing, then you just end up with technology that uses magic and that becomes a new normal. Like we might consider it magitech or something similar, but in a setting where magic is real and is just an accepted part of reality, then magical technology is just technology. So Lord of the Rings, where they have magic, it's just technology to use that magic to create enchanted swords. Um or, or doorways that only open at certain times when you say certain words. Like that's just a password at a door. Um and I, mean, I guess the the fireworks yeah. show as well. I guess that's yeah. I mean, say friend and enter makes a lot more sense than this door only opens on the third night of the moonrise. Um. It does. <laughs> um, so are we are we saying that Lord of the Rings is is an a okay magic because we're not actually the story is not about the magic. The magic is just in the universe. Yeah, I think so. It's mostly it's in the background. You see it come up a few times um, with Gandalf, but really the only people using magic uh, on any kind of regular basis are Gandalf, who tries not to use it at all, uh, Saruman, who uses it quite a lot for evil purposes, uh, Sauron, who's mostly seen through the rings, and the elves, who are retreating from the world and also try not to do a lot of magic. So, mostly we don't see it at all, and it's Despite not knowing its limits or what it can and can't do, it's perfectly fine use of magic as a soft property that we don't really understand. Okay, so we're giving Lord of the Rings a big green tick, I'm guessing, here. Like, tick, that one's good. It also helps that it's such an established part of uh, culture there. <laughs> I mean, that does also help. So I guess we possibly jumped ahead of ourselves. Um, maybe we should talk about the three laws of magic. So much in the same way, I guess this relates to our tech and magic thing again, much in the same way we're all pretty 
us nerds are pretty well knowledgeable of the the three laws of robotics there are also the three laws of magic um we have um which are done by brandon sanderson yeah who would you say is a prolific uh magic writer i always view them more as science fiction but again technology and science fiction and uh, uh, magic it's probably apt to say that brandon sanderson is a prolific writer and some of his work goes sci-fi some of it goes fantasy some of it is a bit in between uh, because it doesn't really categorize very well. Uh, his more recent s- series uh, is definitely sci-fi with something that could be magic in it. He, and then he's got a fantasy series, which are very fantasy, but are edging towards sci-fi. So if we're looking at the... So the first law uh, is an author's ability, because obviously he's a writer, so he talks about the author, but we're going to change it to the creator. So a creator's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. Yeah, I mean, so Sanderson's Laws of Magic is something I've looked into quite a bit beforehand uh, because I really like Sanderson's take on magic systems. And so the point here is really that uh, if a character can solve a problem with magic, the reader should be able to understand how that magic works. Otherwise, it becomes a deus ex machina. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a pretty succinct, and I agree with that. Uh, the second law of magic is weakness, but maybe also kind of limit or cost, however you want to label that, are more interesting than the powers. Do you agree with that? Is that how you feel about the second law? Like I get what he, I get where he's going with that. So it's uh, it's the same sort of thing we see in a lot of storytelling, like setting limits for the characters so they have to overcome them in another way. Uh, makes for a more interesting story than, oh yeah, we can just do that thing. Uh, and it's the same sort of thing by setting the hard limits on what a power can do. Uh, then when you're in a situation where that power doesn't work and you have to come up with a workaround, that makes a more interesting story than, oh yeah, I've got magic, I can just solve that thing. So uh, Bratton Sanson's systems always have clearly defined limits of what they can and can't do even if sometimes his powers allow you to break those limits, but that's an entirely different conversation. Um, (laughs) That is a long conversation. But having those limits creates struggle, and struggle creates character and creates good story. If you don't have that struggle, then you get a less impactful story. And I feel the second law relates a lot to like the hero's journey and kind of the whole idea of creating narrative. Narrative doesn't exist without conflict of some variation. I guess we're kind of sort of saying yeah. the same thing about magic uh, with our second law. Uh, magic is not really necessary if it doesn't do anything, if there's not a lack of it or a change in it. Something's got to happen. There's got to be a cost. <laughs> Otherwise, it's boring. Um, moving on to the, the third law of magic, expand on what you already have before you try and add something new. So if you change one thing, you're changing the whole world. And I think for me, this is the this is the, the daddy of all laws um, and one that people fall foul of the most when creating uh, properties. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. So again, you have that sort of thing of uh, setting limits and things. So by setting the constraints on what your system can do, um, then you know, you've kind of gone, this is what this your system does. And if you want to do something else, you kind of need to, it's kind of better to look at what you've already got and go, can this be covered by something I already have? Rather than tacking on this new ability, which could then screw up everything I already got. 
Um, and I think a lot of magic systems or or narratives fall foul of that, where you get kind of the big MacGuffin at the end that fixes everything or makes everything worse, or this unlocked piece of magic that we know nothing about, or, you know, I'm amazed no one could ever do this before. It's new and exciting. And actually, is it just lazy story writing? Um, and we couldn't find a way to fix the problem internally. So we had to find an external extra yeah. bit of magic. Yeah, I mean, a lot of... Um... Tennyson's laws are really written uh, to uh, go against lazy storytelling and easy storytelling and encourage people to really think about what their magic systems mean and what they're doing with them. And so, because if you understand your own magic system better, then that helps you write about it better and create a better story. I think these, for me, are laws for creators, much like Asimov's are laws for the for creators of of robots. You know, this is this is how not to make a terrible story. This is how not to do a lazy magic narrative. And lords, have we seen many lazy magic narratives in our time? Um, and I'm sure there are many more lazy ones yet to come. Yeah. So something that's not on your list, but is on mine, is the Sanderson's zero law of magic. Oh, do tell me. Uh, so Sanderson's zero flaw, in the same way that Asimov's uh, laws have a zero flaw, uh, is err on the side of awesome. So at the end of the day, you know, it's your creation. Uh, and so if the change you're going to do is going to make your story more awesome, like, then do it. Like, these aren't necessarily hard-ass rules, but when you're creating something, and if what you're going to do is going to be awesome, do it even if it breaks the laws, because it's always more important to, you know, tell a good story to have a good creation than it is to follow the rules. But once again, we're going back to putting narrative story and reader first over over our magic system, which I guess is the important thing. Um, okay, so we've got the absolute, we've got the zero law as well, uh, which is keep it awesome. Is that right? Keep it awesome? Pretty much, yeah. Uh so, you know, in notes, uh, Brandon has, in his online lectures, described his ultimate rule as that of making magic awesome in the colloquial sense, and further implied that said awesomeness takes precedence over exact obedience to the other three laws. Okay, so there's, there's wiggle room, is what we're saying. There's wiggle room in our other three laws to make it awesome. I can, I can accept that. Yeah. I can take that. Um, I think some so, people maybe take that a little bit too far. But again, it's that sort of thing where if you've got like I mentioned before, if you've got something where it kind of breaks the rules, but it's awesome, then you can do that. If uh, It might have its own limits and stipulations that you need to abide by to make that happen. But, you know, you can have that awesome moment which kind of breaks the rules and maybe has a backlash or some other hidden cost. Yeah, yeah I'll agree with that. So... Other than the three laws, the other way we kind of measure magic systems is, or how we quantify magic systems, I guess, is we talk about hard magic systems and soft magic systems. Um, hard being, you know, um, they're very solid, they're consistent, um, there are very specific rules and constructions, like the scaffolding around that magic system is solid. Um and they built rather than imagined, I think is kind of the phrase that I've seen used a lot. Um, so an example might be memorizing specific incantations or gathering materials or components or ingredients. Um, and it's like hardcore, this is what you have to do to get that outcome. This is what happens. Um, would you agree with that statement? Would you, would you class that as hard magic? 
Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. <laughs> Is there any uh, good examples where hard magic systems are used effectively? Good examples, not bad examples. That we all know the bad examples, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But the good examples. Mm-hmm. So, um, just to go off Brandon Sanderson uh, there, uh, all of Brandon Sanderson systems are hard magic systems. We know exactly how they're built. Uh, they have rules that are available in the backs of old novels. Um, and they stick to those rules quite harshly. You can't, you can bend them a couple sometimes, but you can't really break out of that rule system. Uh, you also got uh, Full Metal Alchemist, which has kind of strict criteria on how things are done. Again, that can be quite flexible, but there are requirements that are needed in order to perform uh, the magic, and it's a well known, well known rules are established. I think Full Metal Alchemist, obviously, there's alchemy and stuff in it. Like, it's very ingredients kind of orientated at points, um, which I, I don't see a problem with, actually. You know, the, the the quest to get the material components to make the thing to do the thing mm-hmm. is a journey in itself um, and I think can work really effectively. Um, but, yeah, I really like the Full Metal Alchemist kind of uh, system that they have and the hard magic. It, it, it feels confident in itself. <laughs> Uh, and going off of material components, you then have the Vantian magic system, which is what D&D uses, where you have somatic components, verbal components, and material components making up your spells. Uh, so somatic being gestures, verbal being words, and material being things. And each spell has its own combination of those things in order to do the magic, as well as requiring levels and slots and everything else. So I think the... D&D magic system uh, looks really complicated when you first look at it um, and because it, it is very number heavy it is a very hard magic system and it has to be a hard magic system because it's a well it doesn't have to be but it benefits from being a hard magic system in a you know a multi million way using role play system there is no guarantee that everyone is going to play exactly the same way so hard magic systems definitely prevent too much deviation from the intended point of the spell or the intended magic wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, there are table <coughs> systems that have hard magic systems that like to pretend that they're soft magic systems, uh, as well as ones that are actually are soft magic systems. But we could go on to that topic for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I think for me, the hard magic system in D anD. think when I've played characters uh, like paladins and things where. Um, the magic they do is very talisman orientated. It's very orientated around an object, which makes so much sense with the wider character design and the character brief. You know, it, it, it fits the rest of that system really well. I think it fits really well with, uh, you know, the first law and the third law um, nicely and, you know, can be awesome. Um, do we think there are any hard magic systems that don't work? I know the answer is lots, but is there any particular hard magic systems? Well, the system that comes to mind that could be described as hard magic, and I don't think particularly works, would be Harry Potter. (laughs) So interestingly, I've heard this called soft magic and hard. I've like different people put this on different lists, whether it's hard magic or soft magic. I think it's crap magic because it doesn't work. Yeah, so it... It has both components, really, because it has the spells and contagions that are needed, except when they're not. Um, and the items that are needed, except when they're not. Um, but it's okay, because everything good is overwritten by love anyway. I think Harry Potter is possibly a soft system masquerading as a hard system. Um, 
So like I said, like you get some systems where you, they're hard systems, masquerading and soft systems. And what comes to mind there is um, Mage the Awakening by White Wolf, uh, which is you have this hard set of how magic works. But in theory, you can do anything if you really want to, as long as it abides by the rules. In theory. Yeah. So it's hard magic in that there are set rules for how to do magic and there's set spells and things, but it it has a soft component in that you can make up your own effect as long as they fit within those rules. So back to Harry Potter then, how does that... How is that hard system? How does Harry Potter work as a hard system? So... Theoretically, Harry Potter is a hard system. Uh, you require a mo- uh, wand to channel your magic. Um, and obviously, wands can come in many different shapes. And for some reason, are attuned to the wizard. Yeah. Except when you don't need a wand, um, because you can do it without it. Uh, and you need to do incantations or create uh, alchemical mixtures uh, in order to perform spells. Except when you don't. <laughs> um because I'm sure we've all seen you know, the films where people are throwing spells around without saying anything. Uh, that might just be simple blasts of magic, but they're still performing a spell without doing an incantation. And it's kind of hand-waved away as it's something you learn after school. Where after school? Yes. <laughs> uh, I suspect the actual implication is it's something the Auras keep secret to themselves. Oh, so you think there's an in-game... Uh, an in in universe like meta reason why that's the case. Yeah, I mean the people we see doing it are like very high level wizards um, on like the scale of uh, Dumbledore, uh, Death Eaters, who are you know evil, and Auras essentially. So the secret police. So it's not necessarily something that's in common usage, but it's something that people who are very talented or have special training. Uh, know how to do. So I suspect it's something that anyone could do if they learned how, but it's not something they teach at school. So it's a gate-kept style of magic by the police, the government, and the evil people. Yes. Okay, good to know. That's always worth knowing. Um, I think Harry Potter tries to be a hard system, and I don't know if that's just because there is so much of it because it is seven books and two compendiums and a play and an online several games and now another set of movies. I think I don't think it had a very set base in the first place. I don't think the author, who shall not be named, set out to write a hard magic system, but kind of got themselves tied in one. And now we've kind of just thrown our hands in the air and gone, eh, whatever we like, it's so, fine. I think... The author did try to write to a hard magic system, but didn't know what she was doing. Uh, because, like, Harry Potter was her first published novel, and she's writing it for kids, so I suspect she wasn't thinking very hard about, you know, creating the rules and logic. She was just making it up as she went along, which is fine, but it has meant that it has no structural consistency, uh, and things tend to change as the plot needs them to, which is basically means it's a soft system, masquerading as a hard system. Like You have all these spells to do things and they make some sense or don't make sense and they're in terrible Latin uh, which 
makes very little sense if it's actually an old magical system. Okay, because... so so you so I I know one of your big beefs with the uh, with the author that shall not be named is their is their use of Latin or not Latin pseudo Latin uh, for their spell casting. So go on, give me give me your elevator rant about the <laughs> the the Latin in Harry Potter. Okay, so a few like even a few centuries ago, um, we were still using Latin fairly commonly um, amongst the educated classes. Um, it's still being taught in schools until very recently. Um, it's still taught in schools, but not as much. So if your spell incantations are powered by bad Latin and you have loads of people learning Latin and being quite bad at it or just fumbling it, eventually you'd think one of them would fall upon the correct incantation to do the magic. And if they have the slightest bit of magical ability and haven't been caught by a magician already they would have cast spells in public. And it's just, like, if you go back to the point where people want to because it's described as an old system, people would have been using Latin on a regular basis. So why is Latin the basis of spellcrafting? And why is it used worldwide, as far as we know? Because the Russians, French, and English all use Latin. It was taken across to the Americas, where they still use their bad Latin. But we don't see any examples of native magic in America, or any other form of magic, which kind of implies that it's all this one Anglo-centric system relying on bad Latin, which means it can't really be that old, or people would know what was happening. <laughs> it's like, it sort of makes sense, but it also doesn't make sense uh, in a historical way, and it's bad world building. <laughs> and I guess, considering... Again, if it was just the kids' books and even just the kids' films, you kind of go, meh, okay, fair enough, that is what it is. Um, you know, you're you're writing a kids' book, it's not you've not put a lot of thought into it, that's fine. But I think considering they are expanding it and even the new game that's due out at some point that none of us are going to buy because you don't give her any money, um, is set in, I think, Victorian times. So you're set in the 19th century. You know, as you say, Latin was still taught at that time to to the elite and the upper classes um so what would happen and i'm sure that's something we're just not going to get addressed we're just going to politely ignore that um i mean obviously like some things like when happen like when guardium leviosa is not something someone's going to accidentally say um but i don't know a little more it might be so uh, is that where you go, but it's okay because they have to have the wand and they have to do a certain action at the same time? Is that like, it's okay that we're just using those singular words. It's because they're also combining it with this action and this item that this is happening, which I guess is fine until you go back to the the well, wandless magic. Yeah, if those are the requirements, except that they're not always the requirements and it's very inconsistent whether or not they're required. Like... Um, Wingardium Leviosa is one of the ones where we actually see it requiring a specific gesture as well as specific intonation um, because most spells are point and click. At what point does this really make sense if you pull it all together and examine it? Uh, because if you're just reading the books then or watching the film, then you don't really think about it too much. But if you kind of take it as a whole and really look at it, it's, you get, it starts breaking down. It's one of these things that um, it falls apart when you start examining it. And I think that especially 
falls apart when actually their potion system appears quite good. And, and that is hard magic. You get the ingredients, you mix it together in a certain way, and a thing comes out at the end that does something. Um, and you think some of the, the potions that are used a lot in that within that series, you know, the one that makes you look like someone else, um, is is very set. Um, and we see it go wrong. Mm. And then I think there's some, I think the potion making is, but I actually also think it's quite difficult to screw up potion making as a, as a hard magic system mechanic. Um, because it's literally add stuff together, leave to simmer, pour into glass, Mm. serve. Yeah. I mean, the potion magic is definitely a hard system and it definitely does follow its own rules. Um, because either you get it right and it works or you get it wrong and something goes wrong. So it's a very clear, like, pass or fail, uh, where there are varying degrees of failure. Um, and it's something we can very much kind of imagine, you know, people experimenting and going, okay, I've made something, it didn't explode, what does it do? Try it. <laughs> yeah. And, like, like building a craft that way. Um, now, there are, obviously, uh, elements of that that make it better, because... Uh, you have the standard potion recipe books, and then you have uh, the Half Blood Prince's um, copy, where it's annotated with things that make it more effective or make it work more reliably. Um, which does mean that there's inconsistencies in how uh, potion skills are taught, but they still work the same way. That is not, that's not different in how it works. It's a if you do it this way, it's more reliable. <laughs> And I think what surprises me with that is considering how ancient magic is supposed to be, how long it has taken someone to make those adjustments and changes. Like, I guess, and this this is a terrible analogy, and I forgive this, but when you learn when when you learn to drive, you learn to drive a set way, and they are the rules. But once you've learned to drive, sometimes those rules change and you have to learn the new rules. And I feel like that doesn't happen with this magic system at all. There's no... There's no nothing ever changes, nothing ever evolves. We don't kind of learn, um, or, the, or you know, the wizarding community doesn't learn that they need to do X and Y to make it better. Um, I would also say that potions appear to play zero aspect in people's everyday lives, except when they need a cool MacGuffin to do something. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> uh, I think the way to think about um, potion teaching is it's a bit like uh, cooking. So we've, they've got these standardized textbooks everyone gets taught, and it's same textbook they've been using forever and forever and ever and then you get like someone who's actually like, talented at it and kind of goes actually if i do it this way like this way it tastes better and you get end up with the same kind the same end result so like, if you're making carbonara you still end up with carbonara you just, but you get you have that difference between the carbonara you make at home and the carbonara michelin chef makes yeah that's right so based on that do you think there are lots of witches and wizards in the harry potter universe that all have their own textbook with their own amendments in much like the half-blood prince one i think they probably are i think um does that not then ru- ruin that story well, i mean does that not then kind of break that story down if it's if that's actually quite a common thing to happen i think if you looked at um, hermione's notes you'd find a lot of modifications and things that she's learned like if you like when it says this, it actually means do this, um, because again, a bit like cooking, you can have an instruction that it makes sense to the person who wrote it, but doesn't make sense to the person who reads it. So, and you can get mistranslations and things. So it could be that the original potion book was written in French, and then get translated into English, and someone missed like mistranslated the term, but it works 
80% of the time so no one noticed. Okay, okay. I will I will agree with that. Yeah, it's it's bad. Just say it. It's yeah, it bad. bad. Um I mean the whole thing with the elder wand and uh Voldemort getting it but then not being able to uh use it properly because Harry beat him when he was a baby. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> How is it that capricious? Like, how does that even... What is this? We got magical artifacts from death and they defined everything. Nonsense. Yeah, um, I think... I, I, you know what? The more we're talking about this and the more we're going into into the, the, the bits about it, the more I'm like, oh, shit, that makes fuck all sense. And that doesn't either. Um, but I actually don't find the creatures, the potions, or even the items themselves are the problem. I completely get the idea of a portkey and the invisible cloak. Like, to me, that is hard magic working at its best. I have bewitched this item to be invisible on one side when you put it on. Fine. I bewitched this item. I put a spell on it. And now if you touch it, it will take you to the destination at the other end. Yeah, I agree. Those things make sense. Flu powder, a little less. Because um, I think they demonstrated that it works in any fire, not just like a specially constructed one. Um, which means that the flu powder itself is a magical property and somehow can knows what your destination means when you say it. Uh, like, but only if you say it right when you're Harry, but it's fine the rest of the time. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the general magical world is all right. Um, the magical system and society makes a lot less sense. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's certainly so, parts of so the So where do you that... see... Okay, okay. the last comment on the Harry Potter magic system. What do you think the idea that they just magic away their own poo? It's the sort of thing I would probably do. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, there's a whole thing in the uh, Harry Potter story which focuses on a ghost in the toilets. So... No, we didn't undo our own... We didn't undo our own story. No, troll, troll in the... Generic room, actually, because we don't have toilets anymore. Because we magic away our own poo. I mean, maybe those toilets are there to accommodate, you know, the people like the Muggles, um, like people oh, the, less, from the less magically able. But what about if you get that spell wrong? As they, again, they've highlighted, if you get the spell wrong or get it wrong, different things happen. Like when Ron turns a cup in, instead of a mouse into a cup, he just turns it into a furry cup or whatever. What happens if you accidentally, you know, magic away your poo wrong? Like maybe like the toilets are there for people who don't know how to do that spell yet, and maybe those uh, are too scared to use that spell. I'm not sure I would like. And when, when they you know flush the loo, then the toilet magically makes it reddish. Except we know there's a. Hold on, this this <laughs> Harry Potter's falling apart literally in front of my eyes right now, um, in ways that I didn't think was possible with toilets and poo. Um, coming up next on the narrative labyrinth. Where does that go? No, I'm joking. I mean, um, should we cover why the fact, like, why there's plumbing in Hogwarts when they can literally just create water out of thin air? Like, why are there actual water pipes in that um, bathroom to begin with when they could just have a magical tap that when you turn it creates water? To put evil giant snakes in. I don't know why. <laughs> why you're pretending like that's a problem? Oh, for when goodness sake! Like modern plumbing wouldn't have existed when Hogwarts was created, so they had to put it in retroactively. 
And how does that work with the moving staircases and the moving walls? Uh, it's all falling apart. No, no, it was such a solid base. No. Oh, okay, moving on to other hard magic systems. Um, so I, uh, I've got a couple here that I think are hard magic-ish. Um, the American TV show Motherland, known as Fort Salem in the UK, um, uh, which has done two of its three seasons on TV has uh in my opinion a hard magic system uh where their magic is entirely done with vocal cords um and harmonics and sound um and that's done because witches um are born with an extra set of vocal cords um which basically enables them to do this i would say that's a hard magic system yeah i think so it's got defined uh limits they it's consistent in the series uh the big enemy um have artificially using technology created uh vocal cords to make their own seeds so you've kind of got technology that is enabling non-magic people to be magic and do magic um but to me that still fits really really well in that hard magic system people with this extra vocal cord can those that can't can't but people that can't have found a way to use technology to adapt to do a, a bastardized version of magic. Yeah, I mean, that sounds very much like a hard system to me. I mean, you going through that did make me uh, have a few segues in my head, one of which was, do they sort people using the sorting hat? Uh, and another one was about uh, constructed languages, which is a very off topic. <laughs> uh, they do. There is a whole kind of plot um, around different languages and different places in the world having different seeds because their languages are different. And there's a whole um, section, uh, like there's a whole subplot um, about a tribe that's reduced to, I think, like two or three people. And they're trying to get these seeds, these vocal harmonics, um, like recorded so they don't die with the with the with the people, with the village. So, again, it kind of follows that very hard magic system in my opinion that's quite a hard magic system obviously it wobbles a bit around the edges of kind of all i think magic systems particularly in television and film have to because of just time constraints um and plot to some extent uh but what i particularly like about its magic system is that it includes the fact that uh uh, non-magic people have done a version themselves with technology um and they are the bad people because they've made their own magic yeah i mean i really like that bit um so i mean all jokes about the sorting hat side how do they like sort people into their various categories i assume it's a buzzfeed quiz but i think i think we've talked a lot about hard magic systems um my only other kind of admission to the the addition to the hard magic system uh is the disney cartoon the owl house um which i am saying is a hard magic system uh because uh it's all elves um there's no humans in this uh universe in this reality um and the kids that go there's several different schools not just one school in the whole country um there are different schools and they are sorted very early on into like a track which they choose to do be that kind of uh apparition or um different different styles of magic um that they uh then focus on and specialize in uh, and we join the show, The Owl House, uh, by a human falls into this realm and wants to do magic. And they find the way they can do magic is by drawing glyphs 
um and then touching the paper or think you know obviously like um willing the paper to then do the thing they've asked it to do so produce water or fire or it's quite elemental um mm-hmm. i find that quite a hard magic system because yet again we've gone to the, this person can and this person can't and this is why and then there's that workaround for it so i guess actually it's quite similar to uh fort salem in that respect because there is people that can't do it they find a way around it um around the hard magic system Reminds me a bit of uh, The Rhythmatist. Uh, so yes. uh, The Rhythmatist is a young adult, uh, Brandon Sanderson books, it's written for kids. Um, and in it, uh, certain people who've been uh, blessed by God can do magic by drawing out chalk circles. And it's special magic chalk uh, that does it. But no matter what, what else, like even if you can get the circles perfect, you can't. if you're not one of those people, you can't do it. And Ripetus is about a kid who really wants to be one of these people, and he's the best at drawing out these circles and getting everything right. He just can't empower them because he isn't able to do it. Uh, and he ends up in a like tournament, imagine uh, getting end of a tournament doing it, where he draws out all of the circles and has a partner who traces um, over his lines, so uh, so his perfect. Uh, magic gets used by someone else con- who has a lot of power but not a lot of control. Okay, so they kind of like combine that. it in that way. Yeah, I yeah, I can definitely see the kind of similarities within that. Um, and again, I like that as kind of a hard magic system. Like they cannot do the thing. This is the workaround. Um, but if we're if we're moving away from hard magic systems, obviously soft magic systems. I think it's self-explanatory. They are kind of the opposite, where the rules are. Not very specific, not very defined, and it's just kind of wibbly wobbly around the edges. I think it's fair to say, um, and I think Lord of the Rings, as we've discussed, definitely fits within that soft magic system. Yeah, I mean, no one ever explains exactly what Gandalf is doing when he, you know, yells out, "You shall not pass!" And I don't know, a bit Glasgow, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I wasn't going to say anything, but you did. So. That's the thing. Like we know, Gandalf's a wizard, and we know he does magic. But it's kind of like a lot of the stuff we see him do isn't actually that magical. Like he has fireworks, and everyone's like, "We like these are magical things." It's, like, it's just chemistry. I suspect, in a lot of ways, the way Gandalf uses magic is, is very similar to how the uh, witches use magic in Harry Potter and uh, Harry in Discworld. Um, so you have like uh, Nanny Og and uh, Granny Weatherwax, who are you know these great renowned witches, and very rarely actually use magic. Um, yeah. Even when like they're in a, even when Granny Weatherwax is in a magical jewel, she doesn't actually use any magic. Um, she has a stare down, uh, and it's not that they don't know magic and they can't do magic. It's that they you know choose other ways to do. Um, magic because they're more a bit more in tune with uh, nature that way and cooperating with the natural flow of things as opposed to the wizards at the university who are constantly breaking reality. So would you say that Discworld's got a soft magic system? Oh, D- Discworld definitely has a soft magic system. Magic's an inherent part of that world and it's in a lot involved in a lot of things. But a lot of the stories don't really involve magic, and when they do, they tend to be very small things. Or like big rituals, 
Um, yeah. And a lot of the discussion about magic is where it gets very interesting um, because you have things like the ritual to summon death, where it's like, yeah, yeah, it used to be like you needed like this big ritual circle and all these strippy candles and, you know, sacrifice. And, you know, then we figured out you could do it with an egg and a drop of mouse blood. Okay, so you've mentioned you've mentioned rituals and blood. That means that it is time for us to mention Buffy and their magic systems. Or lack thereof. <laughs> I think it depends for me where you what whether you view like vampires and, and demons as magic as well, or if they're separate to the magic system. Oh, that's hmm. they're supernatural creatures, uh, kind of of magic. Um I think you have vampires who do magic. So you do have that question of like whether vampires are inherently magical. Um, I, I feel mean, like I've Buffy's... puzzled you with that one now. Like, are no, vampires just... magical? It's an interesting question. It's like it's like a bit like you know when my therapist asks me a question, I go, "Oh, that's a interesting question. I now need to think about from multiple different angles." I'll come back to you on the on, on the on the vampires. <laughs> I think in Buffy, particularly, the fact that absolutely anyone can do magic, they just have to do it as you say vampires do it demons do it uh humans do it there is no you don't have to have an underlying ability to be able to do magic you just need to do the magic um however the magic they do is very very varied um and i think there's a lot of uh a lot of the seasons end by like we need to stop the big ritual or the big ritual's done a thing and we need to stop it but i think there's a, a very very little effort into um giving much information into what that magic is. A lot of Buffy's uh, magic comes about through uh, ritualistic forms. Uh, so, so a lot of the bad stuff, and a lot of it's you know, based around a big ritual circle with people chanting and possibly like sacrifices of some description in order to like produce the effect. And like, that can be a relatively minor effect, or it can be like summoning... Um, feedback from the grave <laughs> yeah i think um, i think the problem with magic and buffy is it has such a wild variety of things it does or doesn't mm-hmm. do um but have it having now I've, I've actually googled the wiki for what they so magic in buffy um is a culmination of supernatural power that is inherent to all creatures which yeah we get like we've seen all types of creatures in buffy do magic um but the force doesn't violate the laws of nature it's just a law unto itself that remains a mystery to the wider human population. And thus it is behind a veil and we shall never poke it because we have said it's just a mystery. Yeah, I mean, there is actually an argument for at least Buffy's ritual magic to be considered hard magic. Because... Yeah, I think there's definitely an uh, that you could could call Buffy's magic half magic. Um, because like the it being like the fact that you have to like create this big ritual circle with the right ingredients and the right incantations sort of thing in order to do this specific ritual which creates a specific effect is actually quite a hard system uh, it's where they're doing stuff on the fly that it becomes softer um, because you know when Giles pulls out you know a book and goes ah this is the ritual we need to do it's like yeah you know there's a formalized ritual for this um that someone has done it it's not like this is how we could do it it's like no this is the ritual that does it um but when you get into um willow and tara doing witchy magic it's so it becomes a lot 
like some of it's still a bit ritualized, um, but other bits are just like off the cuff a bit, and it's. So, so we're we're saying it's soft, is what I'm hearing. It's it's a bit wishy washy, soft around the edges, late nineties, early noughties, Wiccan teen angst. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of like narrative, like as the narrative requires. Um, but like the ritual magic's quite hard. So the rest of it, not so much, uh, especially when you get into the the merging magic and technology um, stuff to create uh, super cyborgs. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Buffy on its head for you now. So all of us magic um, and kind of the metaphysics that is attached to that originates from a thing called the seed of wonder, and that kind of the natural law governs magic via this kind of seed. Uh, but it gradually develops and evolves over millennia, and that the that is uh, noted in the Slayer's handbooks. So as the Slayer watcher, as the Watcher's diaries go on, it notes the change in the gradual change in magic. So I actually did know a bit of that um, because I was doing uh, a wiki troll on Slayers uh, the other week and learned about how. A thousand years in the future, um, Buffy like kills magic. Um, yeah, the, the comics for Buffy get weird. The, the comics for Buffy get weird. I think it's fair to say. Um, but yeah, to me, that doesn't fit within the narrative of magic that you've told in the TV show. Yeah, it, that's suddenly like when I was reading, that, I was going, "The fuck? When did that happen?" <laughs> Um, in the that comics after sense. the show um, and to me that whole kind of thing completely does not fit with the main kind of Buffy soft magic system because you've basically tied it to this literal hard object um, which I think starts to teeter into a hard magic system and it makes it makes very it, it, it what well, doesn't make sense but you're kind of like eh, soft magic it doesn't need to make sense actually completely stops making sense what I wonder is who wrote the comics Joss Whedon Oh, in that case, my argument's blown out the water. Because I was going to say, if it's someone else writing it, then a lot of time you have, like, when another creator takes over an existing property, then they end up like going off in wild directions. But Joss Whedon's the original creator, so yeah, it's just nonsense. But so, so all right, Buffy soft magic. As long as you don't look too closely, it fits within the narrative. Uh, what about Charmed? So, I mean, I watched Charmed many, many years ago. Um, I think it's fairly soft in that it's uh, it bends the narrative and there's not like huge amounts of rules that they need to follow to cast magic. Um, from where it was a bit of incantation and stuff, but it's, yeah, it's not they, hugely they, formulaic. They they again they I mean it came out a very similar time as Buffy, uh, so it had similarities in kind of that it was very richly very occult, very much working on again that kind of late nineties. Wiccan girl, teen angst kind of thing that kind of all came out from the craft, I guess. Um, but yeah, it definitely um, has very, very loose uh, magic systems, in my opinion. Um, and kind of, uh, we're joined by it's the Book of Shadows and kind of the essence of magic is about timing and feeling and then the phases of the moon, uh, which is you're kind of starting to build a hard magic system in there. I've seen a few systems which are uh, time dependent and things. Um, the one that's going to mind is the the witchcraft role playing game, which kind of comes out of things like charms um, to a degree. Uh, 
where magical rituals gain more power if they're done at certain phases of the moon or certain times of day. So there are some rituals which are more powerful if you do them at midnight under a full moon. And I would say both of these kind of uh, came out of kind of the craft, not obviously straight from the craft, but obviously the craft was a big film. Um, and then kind of these magic, we had kind of this rash of kind of uh, teen uh, occulty style shows, I guess. So yeah, I think I think the craft being the kind of kicker off for for Charmed and Buffy and other things, um, having a soft magic system but some some quite clear paths within that. So having good magic, you know, d- dark magic, light magic, um, and elemental kind of around that. But it was quite soft in how it actually worked. Um, so black magic or dark magic is used for man, uh, malevolent purposes as it were so to cause death destruction or pain or you know all kind of the standard things you'd expect while you know light magic um being used for happiness and healthfulness and you know protection and healing um you know and stuff that is i guess inherently deemed yeah, well, less selfish well, no, um, joss whedon you know, never steals uh from anyone ever never 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 so st- stepping away from from our TV and and probably the last one we're we're, we're going to mention in this podcast before we end up talking for hours and hours and hours, uh, however much this is fascinating, um, I want to propose a, a property that I think um, has a soft magic system, um, but quite an irrational soft magic system, um, and that is uh, the Jedi in Star Wars. In my opinion, however much George Lucas wants to get his midichlorian that's magic, right? They're space wizards. So, <laughs> this is one of my topics of uh, expertise. If you count the old expanded universe, which is no longer canon because Disney suck. Uh, um, so you have the Jedi, you know, who are the good guys, um, and primarily, theoretically, primarily that's because they are uh, encouraging use of the Force to. Um, good ends. Um, you have the Sith, who are. It's not really that they're the bad guys, um, though most of them are. It's that the, um, because the real difference between the Sith and the Jedi is how they use the Force. Um, and... We're particularly still talking about the expanded universe here, aren't we? Not the not the Disney universe. Um, Sith and Jedi still kind of comes under saying a lot of the comics and stuff have been made canon. There's a lot of coverage of that. Um, so, like Sith and Jedi, a lot, lot of the difference is ha- how they use the Force. And there's a certain amount of intent there. Like, um, So there's nothing stopping a Jedi using Force Lightning, even though it's typically viewed as a Sith power. Um, but there are other ways that the Sith use the Force that the Jedi don't use. Um, and it just means that certain ways of using it get styled as good or bad. And realistically, the Force doesn't give a shit. Like, there is no good force, bad force. Um, it's really how it's used. Um, Gain into expanded universe. You then like have the, oh, I think they're called the Shadow Jedi, <laughs> uh, who were kind of somewhere in the middle between the Jedi and the uh, Sith, and like used both methods, or um, like they didn't care about what, like what side the power came from or how it was used, um, as long as it served their goal at hand, which was maintaining balance. 
Um, and you have the Daphimiri witches, who are an all-female group of witches who are just doing things their own way and treating the force as if it's actually magic, as opposed to some monastic perfect power. And this is before we get into the rant about midichlorians and how they're bullshit. <laughs> but could you not view midichlorians in the same way we viewed um, the... Um... Fort Salem extra vocal cords. Could we not view them in the same way? You have to have this element to be able to do magic. Like to a certain degree, midichlorians make sense in that. Um, obviously, some people can be Jedi, and some people aren't. Um, or more particularly, some people are force sensitive, and others aren't. And there is a degree on there. So some people have um, enough force sensitivity to be able to like feel like feel some things, or possibly like do some tricks. It's like good enough for casino work. Like they can possibly get a foreshadowing of what a card is going to be or be able to like make the dice roll the way they want kind of thing. Not necessarily even consciously, but it's like little minor effects like that. Uh, and then you get onto like the full, the people who are capable of being full Jedi um, and like learning how to lift things with their minds. So, so are you defending midichlorians based on that, that actually it's the amount of this uh, chemical in your system enables you to tap into magic and the more of it you have, the more you can tap into the magic. So I hate midichlorians. Um, they're but bullshit. Yes. But yes, I'm right. If you consider them as, <laughs> if you consider them across the royal property, like it does make sense that there is something like midichlorians, but they're still bullshit <laughs> because they get they get brought in, in the prequel trilogy and never mentioned again. Because this is all things like, ah, we need to rebuild the Jedi Order. It's like, okay, here's a midichlorian detector. Go and find people. And they could have like, just started checking everyone in the rebellion to see if they had like, enough midichlorians to be trained. They, the Empire could have done it the other way. And uh, on your 11th birthday, you get a card from, <laughs> from the Empire yeah. that says uh, you've got to come in front of this hat. Mm-hmm. And it's going to... No, I'm joking. Um, uh, but, you know, you've, you, 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 that could be used. If they'd actually gone mm-hmm. hard on that, or they'd actually taken the midichlorians and actually used them as, I think, how they could have been as this kind of magic... Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 like the, the, the kid in um, uh, The Last Jedi... At the end, the the scene I truly hate in that movie where he makes the broom float to him. He might have a really low midichlorian count or a low ability to do magic, i.e. low ability to use the force, but has some and has used it in that in that way. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I think he definitely has sufficient to be trained as a Jedi. Um because he's demonstrating enough control and at that point it's just learning how to do more with it. It's very well known that the Sith went out and hunted Jedi, and they did that by having a list of names and hunting for those people. And if people, if other people showed the ability to use the Force, they hunted them. So they did it based on reports of people using the Force and known entities who they knew um, had the Force. But in Episode One, they demonstrate that they have this very simple blood test. That can tell if you've got a lot of midichlorians and thus a force sensitive. And they could have just had stormtroopers going around everyone and forcing them to take this blood test at gunpoint. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to defend midichlorians, although I'm definitely going to do a podcast that is entitled In Defense of Midichlorians, because I think <laughs> it's a great name. Um, you can come talk to me on that too. Um yeah, I think let's, let's I think 
as they as they built it in as a magic system, and it is like I think I think we're both definitely agreeing that Star Wars has a magic system. It is a magic system, however you choose to dress it up. Uh, people do spectacular things by tapping into an invisible force. They jump further. They can read minds. They can force people to do stuff. That's magic, isn't it? We in any other property, we would say that's magic. Yeah. Um. So magic space wizards. Um. And how much they can and can't. And I think you've got that in Finn um, in the in the latest in the in the sequel trilogy Mm -hmm. uh, where he is clearly force sensitive to some level. But it's not said how it it doesn't appear to be as much. It's you know, it's it's a a lesser amount and feels far more driven by his emotions when he uses Mm -hmm. it. It's when he's engaged into the emotions while Ray um, ignoring the Palpatine shit because we're not going there, um, has obviously a very high uh, ability to tap into the Force, at which which means the midichlorian argument does make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, yeah, Finn, I say, is Force-sensitive, um, possibly more than most, but certainly, like, not, like, moving things with his mind, necessarily. Um, but similarly, like, Leia's much the same. Like Leia's... Well, no, because Leia trains as a full Jedi. Off screen, though, we don't actually get to yeah. see it, but but off screen, so, she trains as a full Jedi. Off screen, she does, and in the book, she does. Um, but in the context of the original trilogy, um, she's only like vaguely kind of, and it's not even talked about, but it's kind of like there's a vague implication that she's force sensitive as well because Luke's her brother. Yeah, but they're also twins. And midichlorians are apparently genetic. Um, and that's the sort of thing of like, why is like why is one of them super Jedi and the other one is Oh no, um, don't 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 it will fall apart. Um no. I mean to be fair, that actually is covered in the books. Um The non canon books, yeah. The now non canon books. Because um the difference is that Luke spends all his time training. Uh, so Luke dedicates to being a Jedi and like spends all his time Jedi uh, training and for um, and like enhancing his prowess with the Force. Uh, whereas Leia is a full time politician who um, basically treats her Force training like yoga. Yeah, so it's something. She, yeah, she does like in a fifteen minute break or um, like goes on a retreat every now and then. But it's you know she's busy with work, so she doesn't do it a lot. And like that's why. Leia's not an accomplished Jedi, even though she's got tra- had training, has a like a potentially large poten- potentially large potential. Yeah, we'll go with it. Uh, it's because you know she doesn't train for it um, and just doesn't like know how to use her abilities. And then, but it's not explored in the films until the Abrams uh, trilogy, where we have uh, like we see her sensing things across the galaxy. Yeah. So clearly force sensitive, and then the um, magic trick where she pulls herself in from vacuum. Yep. But I allow it because um, letting Leia have force powers on screen is cool. And I think long overdue. I think I felt the same. Is I was a bit like, but actually, uh, that was a very long overdue um, recognition for the character um, and the actress. so I was like, oh, okay, fine, I'll allow it. Um, okay, so 
what about so the whole magic system in Star Wars? I'm going with soft magic system, right? Yeah, because yeah. it is never explained. Like I think Lord of the Rings is more clear on its magic system than Star Wars. So I mean, if you delve into the the games and such, um, it becomes a bit more defined because obviously it's a game system. So you have distinct force powers and you have like levels of force ability which like limit uh, how much you can use the force in a given period because game mechanics um, so does it become a hard magic system in the games due to game mechanics does it does it force it to become a hard magic system yeah pretty much outside of cutscenes um, because you've got specific abilities you can do and learn and depending on the game it can be up to you which ones they are um, so uh, I certainly remember having my character in Jedi Knight 2 um, having a lot of Sith abilities uh, <laughs> because again, like there weren't inherently dark side uh, abilities. Um, like you weren't evil for having them or using them. It was, but it was like how you use them. So if you used them to kill people, that would send you to the dark side. But just you know, electrocuting someone with force lightning, that was fine. As long as you didn't. Kill uh, morally them. ambiguous. I love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, and actually thinking of Jedi Fallen Order, um, that was definitely the case as well. Like mm-hmm. there was um, obviously it's a skill tree, it's a it's a twenty first century uh, computer game, um, but it was it became a hard magic system because it had to be because it's a game mechanic. Mm-hmm. So, but I would say as a whole, Star Wars is not a hard mechanic system, even though some of the games have hard mechanics, but that's because they're games. Yeah, I mean, the games make them hard because they have to. Uh, the Force in general is a soft system. Like it's um, in the exploration of the Force in all of the expanded universe and such. There's a lot of different ways that people use the Force, and uh, a lot of different ways that it's put to use as well. Um, so, yes, like one person um, might be you know lifting uh, an X-wing, uh, uh, you know, out of a swamp, whereas Another person might be using the force to um, take a planet-sized space station from one system to another. Ah, oh, the uh, the extended universe. Uh, yeah, how yeah. convoluted you are at times. <laughs> um, but yeah, like there's a, a wide range of abilities, and I think. Although it's a soft magic system, and although people would never call it a magic system, I think it. Do you think it follows the the laws of magic? Do you think it follows the the Sanderson laws of magic? So, yeah, I think so. I feel certainly in the original trilogy and in the prequels, I think that falls apart a little bit in the sequels. So it's not used like a lot. It's the sort of thing where it's it ha- it's clearly has limits in the way that it's taught. Um, one of the Things that comes up in the expanded universe that doesn't come up in the films um, is that Luke isn't actually trained as a Jedi; he's trained as a soldier, uh, which means that everything he's taught about how to use the Force is to um, is taught to him so he can fight Darth Vader. Yeah, I I would I would agree with um, that. He is taught by basically one master. Let's be fair; Ben didn't do a lot before he he snuffed it. Um, he was taught by Yoda with one purpose, mm-hmm. ultimately. Like. Uh, what you see is a relatively limited use of magic, and you understand what you see as well. Um, it's very rare that you'll see a use of the Force that you don't understand what's happening. Yeah, I can't think of any time when the Force is used 
away from its kind of main constraints. Although it's still a soft system because we have no idea how this works, what it does. But it has, it, yeah, there is a very set limit of what it actually can in the do. Universe, there was this really big series they did uh, in the noughties um, called The New Jedi Order. Um, yep. Which was most like largely about a alien invasion from outside the galaxy. Yeah. Um like they turned a lot of things over the head like on the head. Um like the fact that the like they got rid of the idea that uh the good guys are invulnerable to uh death. Because in one of the first books, uh they killed Chewbacca. Um so these invaders, uh the Yuzang Vong, um they don't use technology. Uh, everything they do is biological, so they have um, basically they breed and genetically modify plants and animals to perform all the functions that technology might do. Okay, it's just really interesting. It's very much a side point, but the the reason that it's kind of an argument for midichlorians is that uh, the Yuuzhan Vong uh, are invisible to the Force. They are incapable of using the Force. You can't feel them in the Force. Um, because they do not have midichlorians, I'm guessing at all. They are not connected by the midichlorian web. So yeah, if we if we think about midichlorians being a thing, like this is a species from outside the galaxy, from a galaxy where midichlorians don't exist. So they like this entire species that has no midichlorians and thus has no connection to the force. Whereas like every species in the normal galaxy, like has some access to midichlorians. So that's kind of an argument for midichlorians. Again, I kind of hate it. But but it is. And it ties back into actually a really well, well, maybe not well thought out of time, but a really well built up soft magic system that is actually all based around midichlorians. Midichlorians are the soft magic system of Star Wars. I've said it. You know it. You know it's true. I know. I know. I know. You don't want to know it's true, but you do know it's true. Yeah, it kind of is. Uh... <laughs> On that note, um, is there anything else you'd like to to say, add, mention uh, before we before we sign off? I think a well written uh, magic system should be fun in itself, uh, whether that means that your well-written system is soft and thus is nebulous or is hard and thus has a stru- easily understood structure. Uh, if you're writing your magic system in a way that makes it not fun, then what are you doing? <laughs> okay. Why, why one, is final... <laughs> one final question. Do you, Elagos, do you like it hard or soft? Your magic systems. Uh I like my magic systems hard. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Brandon Sanderson's uh, novels and all his systems are hard systems. On the other hand, uh, I also like a number of soft magic systems. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Erin uh, Morganson's The Night Circus, which is a very magical book and it's a very magical story. And in that, it, there are at least three different systems of magic in use. So it gets very interesting, but that's a very soft system because it's not defined and it can be used in loads of different ways. Uh, But it doesn't make things any less enjoyable. 
I don't need to understand how that system works to enjoy it. So you like to, what I'm getting here is you like to play hard systems, read hard and soft systems, uh, but sometimes soft systems focus more on their narrative than their magic devices, which is fine until you end up with MacGuffin magic. Yeah, I'm not a fa- terribly fan of MacGuffins uh, in my magic systems. that is it for uh, another episode of the narrative labyrinth i'd like to say a massive thank you again to my guest elagos uh do you have any parting words or anything you'd like to shamelessly plug well i suppose if you want to read more of my ravings you can do so uh on my blog at elagos.co.uk which i very occasionally update um or you could follow my twitter which is moon emperor uh, which I discuss things like, you know, trans rights are human rights, sex work is work, and Black Lives Matter. Thank you very much. Um, I agree with every point you've mentioned there, obviously. Um, don't forget to catch my uh, next episode when we yet again dive to the depths of narrative on screen, on the page, and in the stories we create and play ourselves. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Goodbye.